And then a 55-year-old guy will just like come cruising past that's just done 70, 70 kilometers. And I'm there like... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Pretendship, um, a show where every episode we have a different friend on just to chat and shoot the shit. And this week we have a, uh, a occasional colleague of mine, actually, um, George Webster. Um, yeah, like vid- video guy extraordinaire. Extraordinaire, big words, big compliment. What would you say, I mean, you're a director of documentaries now as well, right? Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I guess guess in that project, I wore a lot of hats, almost all of the hats. Oh yeah, I saw the credits and it was just like, (laughs) producer, associate, like gaffer, bang, 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 just George Webster, George Webster. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous when we were making those credits. I was like, oh, this feels really weird to like just have like my name constantly over and, over. and then Brian's name occasionally. But at the same time, you want to get credit, so. Yeah, fair. And you did do it all, so you deserve that credit. But yeah. That's true. Like, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, yeah, George Webster just directed a, uh, a nice little doco we'll talk about. Um, why don't you come inside the treehouse and join us and we'll, uh, we'll have a chat and a catch up. Very fortunate to like slip into the video team at Scrub. Um, Boone, Boone really hooked me up there with with that, and it came at a good time, like because Scruff were were really busy. Like Boone and everyone on the video team were like worked flat out, so yeah. I think I, I just kind of turned up and gradually like. Took yeah, dude, things. my my memory of you at Scruff for the most part is that you'd just be off in that little office you know that the vip room the whole time just like I yeah need, i need my little zen area my my meditative yeah man. yeah there was there were, there were definitely points where um the schedule edit schedule and well the work schedule was just mental and like that office you know open plan offices they're like on trends you know for like branding companies and whatnot and they're great for the most part because they are like really connected to people and, and yeah. collaborating more. Do you know what I mean? But not for an editor. You need a you need a little. But like for an editor more. that's just under pressure, you just like, I just need to yeah. chop away. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I used to just like put tunes. I put like the loudest, you know, like death metal and stuff on to edit to. But then you can't, can you? Because you have to hear the music when you're editing and shit. Exactly. Exactly. That's why like color grading is like. It's great because you don't. All you're using is your eyes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You, so I just like put on a podcast or like yeah, live music. Oh, I do a bit in the edit. I don't know if everyone else does this. I think it would be called the in and outs. And this is like none of my audience are going to give a fuck about this unless they're like video editors. But me and you will get it. But I I dump all my footage in at the beginning and then I do what I call my nuggets or my selects. Do you remember this stage that we would do? So you would go through and and like whittle all the footage that you got down to just the best little moments and then so you've just you've cut like two hours out of all the footage you've got and now you've just got like 27 minutes of wicked stuff and you can do that too with music on do you know what I mean yeah yeah for sure like you don't have to be 
you'd have to be listening to the to the to the track that you're editing to, especially for music videos, man. Like even in the edit, you end up listening to the track so many times that you just it drives you mental. So like the the least amount of times. Has, has there been any song that has survived that process for you? Oh, sorry, broke up there a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should say like you're in Spain right now, aren't you? I'm in Spain. Yeah, yeah. Although there's a Chilean flag there, yeah, but yeah, yeah I am definitely in definitely in Spain. Uh, uh, so I don't know where. I don't know where we were. Up to. I, I was asking, has there been any song that has survived the process of editing it for you, where you still like it at the end? Because as an editor, it's just like the same one bar of the track all day for some parts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think Cassia are a good example of like, I didn't really know their stuff until like starting working with them. So until me and Boone flew out to, to Berlin and did quite a few videos with them. Uh, and now, and I don't, it's probably because it's coming summer and they've just released a really good track. Um, now they're like, a, just like a, a constant bands just like that's like appearing on the spot. If, Have know, they like, paid you off, doing, George? Doing... Are you a shill? What's that? <laughs> Have they? How much did they give you to say all this? <laughs> no, they've got good yeah. summer tunes, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, to play, but so say to play. Um, I can't remember what track it's called. I didn't edit it, so I guess half of it because I shot I shot it, and um, obviously you listen to it fucked on when you're shooting as well. But uh, yeah, man, there's quite fortunately at Scruff there's a good there's good quality control. So like a lot of the bands that we that we shot with, um, they've got good tunes. And yeah. did you get in your head like the little little? Little hooks get in your head, man. I, I don't want, I won't make you name and shame the tracks that have been the worst that you've had to work on. Yeah. Yeah, let's not, let's not go there. Yeah. There's obviously, there's obviously some, everyone will have them. Dude, I watched, I watched the um, documentary, but I didn't want to send you my thoughts on it yet until we were on the show. Um, oh, yeah. Because I wanted to see your little face light up when I lavished you with compliments. <laughs> But it's sick, man. It's so good. Cheers, man. Thank like, you very much. And I've not, I don't know what the sort of the, who the target demographic for the documentary was. Maybe you can explain. But for me, I'm not interested in, for, for, for the audience, it's like um, a documentary about an ultra marathon, like a hundred mile race. And I've, although that sounds impressive, I've not particularly got any sort of interest in, running per se yeah. but it made it really you made it really accessible with connecting to the specific you know small number of characters and their relationships with each other and their girlfriends and what it means to them in their lives and stuff so it made it very easy to become invested in in the the narrative of it all you know what i mean oh good yeah man i mean that, that's like that is exactly what we were what i was aiming for uh it dev it didn't it's not like I set out it's not like I heard about ultramarathon running and then set out to find some people to make a documentary about. I literally got to Australia, uh, was struggling for work as as a videographer, um, 
and I've always liked having like passion projects in the works. Um, you know, like as, as well as doing your commercial work, I've always like liked to have something on the side that's like really pushing yourself. So I was looking for a document, well, keep trying to keep my eyes out for an interesting subject. And then I went to a film festival that weirdly is solely dedicated to uh, running films. I never knew that there was such a thing, but uh, went to a film festival invited by one of the runners, Pat, the guy, the one with the long hair. Yeah. So he's a good, he's a good friend anyway, before the running film. I went to a film festival with him. Then um, I saw all these films. And I was like, yeah, I could definitely make, make something like on a par, like, you know, around this, around this area. And it'd be exciting to make. And then when we were having, we were having beers afterwards, him and two other mates told me about them wanting to do this race. Cause I didn't even know that I didn't even know that people did hundred miles. Yeah. Like I'd uh, like I'd done, I'd done a half marathon. I've done two half marathons. Oh, so that. you've, you've run a little bit yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was getting, I was getting keen on running as well. So I'd done half marathon in Newcastle, UK and half at that point, half marathon in Sydney. So I was, I was, you know, I was kind of, keen but i just didn't know really that it's physically possible to go 100 miles without stopping um so they told me about this race at utmb ultra trail de mont blanc where they run around mont blanc so they start in france chamonix the famous like ski resort then run through italy into switzerland and then back into france yeah and i was just like in my head, I was like, "Whoa, Mont Blanc must be way smaller than I think it is." Because if that's possible, but no, it's bigger than I thought it was, and they just run for a hell of a long time. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous, man. Like, I'd, obviously, you'll know. I think to qualify, don't you have to run other hundred mile races or something? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's by so no means the the long. Like, Sorry, continue, man. Yeah. Sorry, this like delays. Typical, typical uh, Skype delay. Um, yeah, the um, there's a thing called ITRA Point, and basically because this UTMB is so popular, they uh, they they can only allow two two and a half thousand people to do it per year. So you have to enter a ballot like a lottery, but to get a place in that ballot, you have to prove that basically. I think it started from a safety thing. So you've got to prove that you're not going to start this race and die on a mountain because <laughs> you're not fit. So, which is fair enough because, you know, people have got seriously injured before. Um, so, yeah, they've got, they've got to run. They've got, there's certain races around the world that, that if you finish this race, if you finish those races, then you get points to be able to qualify. Um, so, yeah, I managed to film... Well, me and Bryony, my producer and girlfriend, managed to film one of the um, one of the qualifying races uh, in Australia. Um, yeah, it's mental. Yeah, that's nuts, man. So it's it's not actually it's by no means like any longer than the qualifying races, but the thing that's difficult about it is all the ascents and descents and having to go up, like do, doing something that's absolutely ridiculously difficult anyway but then take it all up 
like so that the oxygen is lower and and like you're having to go up and down while you're doing it yeah man um these these three runners are no me are by no means like unfit people um and they really struggled they it part part way through the film they say like this is this is way harder than we thought it was going to be yeah and there's a good quote towards the end of the documentary where they say um you experience every emotion on a hundred mile run like so you're having relief and elation and rage and frustration and exhaustion just like ev- the full gamut like the full sphere of what it's possible to feel you will feel at some point because how long does it take to run a hundred miles uh well yeah like it depends on what race um so one of the qualifying races that that they did um that they did that in 32 hours yeah um this one uh there's a limit so there's a cutoff point so utmb uh so mont blanc there's a limit of 46 hours i think is the limit so like you're allowed to be running constantly for 46 hours um before the cutoff, uh, so that just kind of like demonstrates how long it can take for some people. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, that is with having these little micro naps at, at the little checkpoints, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of the. That's one of the other things as well. Like sleep deprivation is crazy for this race because they actually start. They start the race at six in the evening on Friday. Mm-hmm then run then run through the night and then um saturday morning and uh, and then still up in the mountains like and they know where they should be at certain points for your own like targets yeah and always yeah. ended up being like way behind that t- those targets um and really struggling um but so does everyone you know um and and then they, and then on Saturday night they have, they do another night, so it's the only race that I know of that they actually run through two nights. So by the end of it, mate, the the, uh, the only way I can describe the mentality of, of the runners is they're like drunken toddlers. Like <laughs> deprivation is just like completely taken over. Yeah, the you're brain. crying and shit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah cry, like crying at the drop of a hat or laughing about something at the drop of a hat and then coming into aid stations and just not being able to look after themselves. So like the girlfriends will be like, uh, you know, they know what they need nutrition wise. So they're like, they'll be like, Jacko, do you want a banana? And he'll be like, uh, like, no, no, I don't want a banana. Like almost like, no, don't want it. And then the girlfriend's like, eat the banana. It's like, okay. Yeah. There's a a part where I think it's, there's, there's a part where, is it Jacko that's got the soup and he's saying there's nothing in the world except this soup right now because you get into a state where your body's crying out for that sustenance. So it, it's, there's this trippy feeling of not knowing anything except this like hot little cup of soup that you've got in your hands. Yeah. Yeah, man. And um, that's, it, that's exactly it. And it's, it's extraordinary seeing these people put themselves through all, all that voluntarily. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, 
it's literally it's just to push themselves to the absolute limit and it really is it sounds so corny but it really is like inspiring yeah uh, and one of the things is it's not like football or it's not like either even like track athletes and it's not like there's a specific age gap and build do you know what i mean there's a whole gamut of like different types of builds um different ages that's there's some there's some pretty old people that do that do these races and you look at them and you're like it's crazy like did you feel inadequate that some old guy could absolutely smash you up in a race so yeah absolutely for sure man like i'm i'm running i did i did like quite i say quite a bit of running like I, I, compared to me you did quite a bit of running but but not compared to them oh. but like i'm running i'd be i'd be proper out of breath like fair enough i'd have a camera with me or whatever I'd be proper out of breath and i'd be jogging jogging back into work like the uh check st- checkpoint and then a 55 year old guy I'll just like come cruising past that's just done 70, 70 kilometers. And I'm there like, <laughs> Absolutely so, bananas, man. So, when, you know, when you were running, so I know there's a few scenes where you're sort of like talking to them while you're running and like uh, you, um, without spoiling it for people that are going to watch it, maybe there are a couple hitches, maybe not everyone does exactly how they feel like they're going to do in the race, you know? potentially uh, don't make it there's points where you're communicating with the runners and telling them things and how far they are and stuff to what degree were you worried about interfering with their being in the zone or like was, was there any sort of weird ethical quandary for you about speaking to them or how much should you be interacting with them uh yeah actually it's pretty like there's there's like there's two sides to that um I wasn't really worried about how much I how, uh, how much I would interact with them to like put them off um, because we'd just done like two years of filming, so they'd kind of gotten used to they'd gotten used to the camera. Do you know what I mean? Like I can see during the documentary how image quality and my my my, my shooting technique has improved, but they've kind of they kind of relax on screen as the documentary goes along. Um. But so like by the time we get to UTMB, they're they're pretty relaxed in front of camera and they know they know how it is. Like they know that they know that I'm gonna be in front of them like filming with the with the gimbal and then at some points I'm gonna like run behind them and like be filming their feet and it don't put them are, off. Are you having to run through them to get bef- like behind and in front of them? Are you having to like make them move out of the way so you can get where you need to be? Yeah, kind of. Like, obviously, like, them doing the race is the priority. So I always just say, I always just say, like, you guys do what you need to do, and I'll go around you. So, like, if I'm running behind them, and I'm, and then I realise, like, I want a shot of them with the mountain behind, I just, like, yeah. I just shout out, come in on your left, and I'll just, like, sprint past them and, you know, try and keep it. Uh, as smooth as possible, so I don't. Inter- I try not interfering. Um, talking wise, obviously, there's so many emotions that they go through that, like, it's only like we don't see we don't see them like as the crews, the film crew. We don't see them for like sometimes six hours. Yeah. So they yeah. through the night up on the mountain, and there's so many emotions that have changed. So it's only when 
only when I like I go up the track of about three k's out of the town and then run in to ta- into town. So it's only at that point when I see him that I'm like I can gauge what the mood's like. Right. Yeah. So you must be going off and going to sleep while they're still running because that happens near the beginning. Near the beginning, doesn't it? When they're doing the qualifier and one of them drops out of the qualifier and then goes and it, sa- it says in the documentary has a few hours rest and then goes to meet them at the finish. Like, it's like, it's ridiculous to think that you can go and get hours and hours of rest and then go and meet someone who's just been running that whole time. Yeah, yeah. That, that really, that was the first race that we filmed and that really put it into perspective. Like uh, this guy, this guy was like really struggling and um yeah, like like ended up ended up pulling out of the race in a in a very very dangerous way, and and then yeah, hours later came back and he wasn't fine, you know what I mean? But he, he he'd recovered. He'd like had like eight hours sleep, and these guys were still running. Um, so yeah, it's 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 crazy amounts of time that the that the that they're out there. But on UTMB. It was the hardest shoot I've ever done. <laughs> like we it, we started filming at about probably about two in the afternoon on Friday. Didn't stop filming. Like technically, didn't stop filming until about four in the afternoon on Sunday. And during that time, we were just catching like little cat naps. Yeah. At the set, all these little checkpoints are in different places around the Alps, so we have to get transportation, like on a bus or in someone's car. Or like, there was one point where we were waiting for the boys, and me and Brian just—it was this like little garage, like little covering for a garage—and me and Brian just in the middle of the mountain somewhere. Just I set up the camera, and then I we got jackets over us, and we just curled up on the floor and just had like ten minutes. Yeah. And then and then we realized that the boys were actually ahead of what we thought. So then I had to get the gear, run down the track, make sure I met them. And that was that was at like two in the morning. Yeah, it's fucking I can't even imagine and imagine so you were able to get those little catnaps considering the stress that you were under and, and the work that you were doing. You weren't running non stop. So imagine how much their bodies were just crying out for those little micro naps there's, there's a couple of scenes where they're at the sort of aid stations and then they just go under a chair and just they go i just need six minutes sleep that's all i need and then they'll just do that and then get up and run for hours and hours and hours after it in those aid stations it occurred to me that i don't know if you were trying to get this across in the documentary but it was mentioned a couple of times that they were going oh this is crazy like i can't i don't want to be in this aid station i don't know if that was you were just reflective of what sort of state they were in or do you think that the actual aid stations were not necessarily organized in the best way that they could have been um there's a few different things um there's there's lots of like technical there's quite a few different rules as to how many people can help them in the aid stations and where they can help them so every runner in the aid stations only get one assistant. Right. Um, and that's to make it harder. And it's also to try and limit the amount of people that can be in these aid stations. Yeah. Um, so that was the other thing I was going to mention as well. Like when I am running with them, there's a limit to, 
there's a limit to what what kind of information I can give them. Oh shit! They're like so. It's 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 clear rules, or it's kind of ambiguous actually. But we just erred on the side of caution and just made sure that like they're not allowed to tell me. Um, can I have um, two bottles of Coke and a cheese sandwich at the aid station? Because then, because there's only a certain spot in and out of the aid stations where they're allowed to get assistance, and that's classed as assistance. So we just didn't just didn't talk like talk about anything that would aid them. Do you know what I mean? Like, or it's like, like they, they could, like someone could say, uh, Oh, the next aid station, can you, can you get me a change of socks or can I need to change my shoes or whatever? So the rules are quite ambiguous and I'm sure some people do, but it's just, it was just better to err on the side of caution to yeah. not talk about anything like that. Just be like, this is this is how you go in, like. Oh, um, you, you just said, can I? I need to change my so- socks or shoes. I'm imagine. I didn't even think. I bet everyone's feet are just a bloody mess by the end of it. Oh, mate! On the finishing line, I saw a guy take his shoes off, and every single toe was bandaged up, and every single one of those bandage bandages were just blood red, just soaked in blood. Fuck. Mental. And and and. And he ran, he ran on the, over the finish line. It's not like he was like hobbling, like he was running. Oh, do you know what I noticed about, um, spoilers, the race is completed by the, uh, by the main subjects of the documentary. Um, but there's a part where they're at the finish line and you can see them look at each other like, let's jump over the finish line together. And then one of them sort of jumps slightly before the other. I was like, that's not on. You shouldn't have, you should have agreed on that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I like in some of the footage that I've got that didn't make the cut. Like one of them is like, "Ah, I beat you." Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, how much didn't make the cut? So much. Is there like a whole other hour of documentary you could have made as well? It could have been. It could have, if I was just if I was purely making this for running nerds, it could have been two hours long. Yeah, because like. What was the decision to make it half an hour? How come you decided to make it? It's it's really easy to consume. I assume that's part of the reason that you just want people to be able to like, you know, it's bite size rather than just this being overfaced by this big 90 minute thing. But how come if you've got so much and I know as an editor, we both know like you just crushed when there's good shit that can't go in the project. So what was yeah. what was the deciding factor there? Um, It's my... First of all, um, it was never intended to be so long at all. It was such an underestimation, but I kind of wanted to do a 15-minute documentary. Because right. even that would have been the longest thing I've, I've, I've made. Yeah. Um, but then the story just grew. Um, so I was like, right, that's out of the window. Um, keeping it around 30 minutes seemed to be the best for film festivals. So we're like... We're currently in the process of entering film festivals. So there's like these weird brackets, like, so anything over certain bracket, it goes to a different classification. And then you're like competing with uh, National Geographic or, you know, right, right. big, big, big people. Um, but also, the, I think the main one was just to make sure that it was accessible for 
uh, for everyone, but it could interest everyone, be engaging for everyone. Um, like I said, like you're not necessarily into running, like you're into fitness, but like in like mixed martial arts and, and things like that. Um, but it's you're not necessarily into running, but you appreciate the kind of like human feet of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keeping it short, keeping it short and sweet. I always said like, you know, because it was like it was it gets to twenty minutes and then it gets to twenty five, and I always just said like, I don't really care how long it is as long as it's constantly engaging. Like, if there's ever a point where someone's like, oh, shall I go put the kettle on? Then I've failed. Right, Do you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, no, let if, me let me say, man, you didn't fail. Um, it's just, it constantly, it almost feels like it's always in a build. I don't, I don't know if, it, it sort of has this tone of like a trailer almost all the way through. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it feels as if we're in the climax and that, like, if you didn't know how long it was, you'd feel like this, we're building up for the final moment now all the way through. Do you get what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the production yeah. value was bang on, man. I don't know what gear you were using, but the cameras, obviously the gimbal stuff, like the the effects that you would put on there whenever you need to cut to stills. I'm always interested how documentaries deal with having to just feature still images and you do it in this cool way where there's like, you know, there's quite a lot of effects and graphics and stuff within it. And I don't know, the production value is crazy. And I think that keeps people from having a minute, having that minute where the spell is broken and they sort of snap out of it and go and put the kettle on. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, and like, that was like, that was one of the main, that's one of the main things I noticed in documentaries is like, um, sometimes they do have to use still, still photography, especially like these, uh, this big influx of, of uh, true crime documentaries. They have to use archive footage or stills. Yeah. And I always appreciate when it's presented in a, in a cool way. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really that, well, I don't, I don't think I'm really that good at After Effects. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't class myself as a motion graphics guy. Um, yeah. uh, but but it's, I've always wanted to get better at it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, um, and also the maps, so like the maps and the text and even the font and the color choices, all of that was actually Bryony, my, my girlfriend. Oh, the fonts were bang on. I know this is a bit nerdy, like again, for people that are just not into it, but like I do a bit of design and stuff like that. I proper wank off over fonts. And every time there was a, a nice font on screen, I was like, mm, that's delicious. That That's all Bryony. That's your missus, right? That was all Bryony. Yeah, that's my missus. Um, she, I, I'm, I'm pretty terrible with that shit. I, like, it, it, I'm frustratingly terrible at that shit. Like, uh, and, and like color palettes and stuff like that. So, and she's really good at it. So she, she would make, especially like the map where um, it kind of, where it describes what the race is. And it, go, and it goes around Mont Blanc and, and there's like the different flags and yeah. the stats and things like that. Basically, she made all that in InDesign. This is like a plug for Adobe. Like, no, no, no. Everything's like... Um, uh, in, in, uh, sorry, Illustrator. And then I took those files and then made them move. Yeah, basically. she made the elements and then you made the animation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... 
so yeah, we were. I was really conscious about having as little text in there as possible. I wanted it to be uh, be able to tell the story through purely visual and audio. Yeah, they say show, don't tell, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and it, but it kind of became apparent that there was gaps in the in there where it just needed some text to to just explain the finer details. Um, so we tried to keep that down to a minimum. Um, cause I, I, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a lover of text in film. I hate subtitles. Uh, I'm like, I'm like quite heavily dyslexic. So like, I'm always on the back foot with stuff like that. Oh really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's interesting that you would have such an information dense documentary that you had you know, 10 different credits on, but you actually are not great at like reading. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, it, I would have, I, honestly, I would have rather have been able to do it without any text at all. Um, and that's why, that's why it took quite a few attempts to like get this text on screen for the right amount of time. Because like, obviously, if, if I put it on screen for the amount of time that I take to read it, <laughs> yeah, it'd be on the break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was right. Every, everything sort of popped up and then was gone. The the only thing I, the, if if I have to confess one thing that I struggled with watching it, but I think it's something that I struggle with watching anything, it's that I struggled in the beginning to keep track of which guy was which, you know, the names. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, like I was absolutely hopeless in like Game of Thrones. I had to keep, I had to have like a little chart do you know what I mean? So, but three guys should be easy, right? But I was like, okay, so I think that one, I think this one is, that, and I have to have these little mnemonic devices to remember like, Pat is the one that looks like the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, for sure. I think, I think I could have, I could have even put like name, name law thirds later on in the film just to like remind, yeah, yeah. You, like remind people. Um, Cause like the first, the first interview where they talk about how they got into running, that was the first interview we ever did with them. So that meant that uh, they weren't that, they didn't flow that well on yeah. the interview. So I had to chop that up loads. So when it came to the edit, um, there was only very short clips where I could get the lower third in with the name. Yeah. Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah. Otherwise it's going to be cut in on screen. So you had to pick the longest clip where they're on screen uninterrupted and put the name there. Yeah. Cause I noticed at one part, again, this is like the minutia that people, if they've not seen the documentary it's going straight over their heads, but there's a part yeah. where when you are introducing them, the voice of the next guy comes in. Do you know what I mean? And, and then the name comes up, but I, I thought they were all, it's interesting that, um, this was, I mean, you've done um, another, there's another documentary, isn't there, that you've been working on? We, so what we're doing now, the, the reason why we're in Spain and traveling around, we're, we're doing a, we're, we've set up a, a small, a, like a documentary company, basically. So yeah, we are, we're working on like other documentaries, but this yeah. is by far like the, the big one. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's weird that you, uh, it's such a professional 
I know, like, it's a weird thing to say, but it looks real. It looks like a real documentary. I always say that when I've, when I've done music videos and I've finished them, I like show them to my mates and go, does it look like a real music video? And considering yeah. the fact that you haven't done loads of documentaries, this was all bang on with, you know, the name thirds and the, you know, the editing and just all the production and stuff. Like the music was crazy. I don't know if you had to like license music or make music or what, but the, the music was mint in this one. Like what documentaries... Have you like taken inspiration from? Because something that did occur to me is there's a part where they're not able, you already mentioned, they're not able to um, qualify for the race the first time because it's so exclusive. And so they have to wait 12 months. And it reminded me of another documentary, um, Free Solo, where he, like, it's the guy who's climbing El Capitan. And then he decides that he's not going to do it this year and come back. And it just has text on screen like, he can't do it this year. And you, you know, just the little pauses and the little beats and the little narrative events that you make in the edit are all just like bang on. So I'm wondering where you got all that inspiration from if you've not even had much practice at doing documentaries. Um, I've always, documentary has been my favorite medium of, um, of information and entertainment for like for so long. Um, about so many things. I remember, I remember years ago, first discovering, um, like years and years ago, first discovering Vice and their like back catalogue of these mental documentaries where they, you know, they'd be going like into some crazy war-torn situations all around the world. Um, and the, like, I've always known that I've kind of wanted to be a documentary like, filmmaker. So I, I just end up watching tons of documentaries with quite a critical eye, um, just like everybody does about their own industry. You know, like musicians yeah, yeah. will listen to an album with a critical ear or whatever. And, um, and so I think I've just been like, kind of like logging, almost like logging all these like things, all these like kind of techniques. Um, but a lot of it was trial and error as well. Um, there were certain po- there were certain points where I was I was editing this film at the same time as building our camper van, doing like ridiculously long hours, and I'd just be like tearing my hair out because I'd be like I don't know how to get this narrative to work. So we end like we ended up like drawing out loads of different like different techniques that you can draw a big wheel and then you can draw all the key points. Yeah, where like things happen and they, and then you draw lines between them and they're using like that or like flow charts or, uh, it'd be interesting to know, you know, like as you get more experience and you've set up the company for doing documentaries, as you start to do more and then you look back at this one, what you would change, you know, I don't know, maybe you already have some now like that you thought, Oh, if we hadn't set this date as the, you know, the delivery date, so to speak, then I, I would have done this, this and this or, like, is is there anything you think that you'll look back on and, and wish that you'd had time to do a little differently in this? Um, I think uh, right now, right now, there's no like no actual specifics. There's certain things where like uh, just like camera quality, because um, it, it was a ze- it was basically a zero budget film, um, and. Uh, partway through the film, actually, during the trip that I had to Europe, um, I, w- I went to Barcelona and I got all my camera gear stolen 
in Barcelona. Oh, so that meant oh. that meant then when I was carrying on filming, um, whilst I was back in Australia, I was borrowing gear from people and hiring gear, um, which I was, I was super super fortunate that I, I worked with people that in in Australia that would would lend me stuff. But that means there's like discrepancies in like image quality. It's not all done on, you know, it's not all done on Red Epics. <laughs> it's like done on a few different cameras. Um, I think the main thing is like if I've now learned that although it's cool to do everything myself and I might have realized that I can be a bit of a control freak in in having the control of all the different elements there's certain aspects of the filmmaking that I just I just next time I just need to outsource yeah like like color grading um was an absolute nightmare yeah, because it's night and day and all different equipment and stuff. So the grade must have been an absolute chore. Yeah, it was. It was like the first scene in the film. Like, I don't want to downplay it for people that might like see it now and then go, oh, yeah, it's actually quite great. But like, <laughs> so hard to film because it went from inside like a really dark bedroom to outside in Australia. I didn't notice it. I, I watched that scene and, and was like, oh, this is a cool way. This is like obviously a staged thing inside a documentary, which you don't often get like a choreographed little bit. But I was like, oh, this is a nice way to introduce the, the you know, the, the video and the characters and sort of set the tone. And I did, it didn't, I wasn't like, oh, but the, that's all blown out and the exposure's all, like, it was, I thought it was bang on, man. Oh, good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's things like that. And just, just expanding the crew. I think this is the first time where I thought like, I would like to just expand the crew. Like I've done it on my own now. And, um, but it just could be better um, if, if you'd kind of just like, expand the crew, get a couple of, uh, a couple of camera operators on the go. And that means like, that means it ends up taking on a whole different aspect of filmmaking, this like really fun vibe where it is like, where you get your mates on there. Do you know what I mean? Like getting mates together to, to make something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, cause obviously we know like so many camera operators, so many uh, editors, uh, like color graders and things like that. So, uh, this what this was pretty much just me and Bryony, and even then, Bryony like I really like dragged her along for the for the ride. Like I was almost like right, okay, Bryony, uh, hold that hold that notepad. Right, you're now a producer, and like <laughs> if you could just organize everything for me, and uh, and she's like she's basically become a, a, a very good producer. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's, it's it's like kind of come naturally to her. I think a lot of people don't really know what producers do. And to be honest, it's hard to narrow down what producers do. But uh, she's, yeah, naturally very good at it. So Yeah, of course, Tip Man. What's the next, what's the next uh, project then? Like you were over in um, Ireland, weren't you? Yeah, so we were in Ireland uh, quite a while ago. We were filming um, part of a documentary. These are short. These are shorter documentaries. A lot more digestible. A lot more like bite-sized. Like in between, in between, like the, we're kind of going for in between um, YouTube content. You know what I mean? Like quick value yeah, yeah. and high-quality documentary making. So somewhere in, in between there. Uh, so that that one was 
um, that's going to be part of a documentary uh, about sustainability in the modern world, like like what that buzzword means now. Um, and we filmed with a couple of friends that um, opened a sustainability shop in Dublin. So they, they temporarily lived with us when we were in Sydney and they had the idea when they were there. They came back to Ireland and set up this shop and uh, it was a great excuse to go out to Ireland and see, see some friends that we'd not seen for like over a year. But, uh, but yeah, and then we, we, we kind of interviewed them. We're now looking for like a permaculture farm or um, something like that um, in Spain. Yeah. Um, it, we did have, we did have set up. Um, and then obviously coronavirus hit. Fuck. So, uh, so that's one of the films. And then we've, we're doing, uh, we've got a video series called Place Portraits where that is basically, uh, we just go around a city or a place with, um, film photography, um, with a, like my old film camera and, uh, just take pictures and film it. So it's kind of like this night. It's kind of the opposite to like loads of information, like graphs and graphics going right, on. It's right. literally just chill. You know what I mean? It's like something nice to look at. Yeah, that would be nice, man. I'll check that out when you've done that. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's coming together nice. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned coronavirus. I think, are you in a way thinking like, oh, this is cool. Now everyone is forced to watch the documentary. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's <laughs> that's one of the only tiny benefits to this. Yeah, yeah. Careful. Uh, yeah, no, like there's there's a there's definitely a big upsurge in um, just like online content absorption. Yeah, um, yeah. We were all, we were always gonna like we were always gonna release it at that day because it just wasn't ready. Do you know what I mean? Like it. it we we had it ready uh and then two weeks later decided when when we were going to release it uh but yeah the, the reaction to it has been great and i'm sure that that is something to do with the situation that we're in at the moment well i i want to urge people to go and check this thing out do you want to so it's just called the hundred miler is it yeah yeah so if you search the hundred miler on uh, YouTube, it should turn up. Um, or you can follow um, us, Broaden, the filmmakers. Broaden. 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 Dot underscore. Yeah, Broaden. Dot underscore. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Think so. Yeah. Was that, all the all the links will be like in the video, so people can just go and find it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's honestly like a, it's a good little. You can literally eat your tea and then it's done. So, it, like, although you were like, "Oh, it's getting longer than I, it should be," like, it's it's just the exact correct length, I think. And it's, it's oh, good man, interesting. It's sort of got this travel component to it, where you get to see another country and like learn about a different place as well, which is like interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was that was great for us. That was like one of the big, big things for us as well, like filming out in Australia, some of the unbelievable places that are, that there are in Australia, 
then going to the Alps, like stunning, beautiful place. Uh, it, it places in the Alps. Uh, it's just a great. It was a. It's a great excuse to like get out there. Um, so big time. Yeah, one one last question before I wrap it up, dude. Um, yeah, I was thro- uh, I was thrown off by this a little bit, and probably just because I'm retarded. But it's called the hundred miler. But then it keeps saying how many kilometers in they are. So I'm, I was trying to do like you know like conversion maths in my head all the way through. Like how many miles is that though? Like how long have they got left to go? It's it's a, it, it, that was that was a pretty weird one. So basically, a hundred miler is kind of like the almost like colloquial name for uh, a hundred mile race, or a, I think it's technically one hundred and seventy four kilometers. Um, so people running nerds will be like, oh, are you doing, are you doing a hundred miler? Or they sometimes they even call it a miler. Um, it's just like a thing that they say. Um, but ev- but e- even if there is a hundred miler race that, that says it's a hundred miles, it'll always be like just under or just over. Um, in fact, over the years of UTMB, it actually changes. Um, so like one year it was 166. And then the year that these guys did it, I think it was 172 because they have to change the route slightly. So like it, but then because my, because the interviews, they actually said 166, I had to use that in the graphics, even though that wasn't technically right for that year. It's pretty complicated, but it's just a fucking long race. It's it's long as shit. It doesn't matter. Dude, what is an extra few couple of kilometers at the end of all that? I know, man. I know. I mean, when I did a marathon, when I got to the end of it, I could not have gone one more step. But these guys do a hundred and whatever kilometers, and they look like they could run another. Yo, marathon. is it not ill-advised to be drinking beer halfway round as well? <laughs> probably, probably. But you know, uh, like you said, it was one of the things that like got him through it. And uh, yeah, the camaraderie and the uh, the crowd support is like. Unreal, unreal. It get it like it got me fired up, and I, I was just filming it. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't the center of attention. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, it's a sick documentary, man. Congratulations on it, and I'll be checking out the next ones, all the future. Cheers, man. I might rewatch that one just for a, a riggy buzz. Do it, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for setting this up and uh, having me on. Thank you, man, for being the very first. Uh, what what do we call it? Remote podcast? Yeah, for, digital, for listeners digital only. Cyberness. Um, yeah, for listeners only. Uh, George is on a, a massive telly in the treehouse. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>